I'm a hustler, you know, in a sense that I do what needs to be done. So I usually, like, I move around. That sounds badass. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest risk for someone at this point is not to have crypto, actually. Hello and welcome to DeFire, the podcast where you get to know the people and stories behind the most exciting crypto projects. My name is Jonas and today on the show we have finally a female guest on again and even more important than that, she has a very impressive track record and great stories to tell. But listen for yourself. My name is Roberta Antunis, I'm the Chief Growth Officer at Hashtags. Hashtags is the biggest crypto asset manager in Latin America. We have over 5 billion reais under management, around 300,000 investors, and we launched the first crypto ETF in the world in a partnership with Nasdaq. But before we start the show, a little word from our sponsor. CryptoValley.jobs is the place to be when you are looking for a job in the Crypto Valley in Switzerland and beyond. And I would like to draw your attention to one specific job opening. The LGT Bank in Liechtenstein, they are looking for a motivated crypto assets compliance manager. Check it out on CryptoValley.jobs, it's one of the first on top. Crypto asset compliance officer at LGT Bank. And with this out of the way, let's start the show. What is something uh, besides crypto that you're passionate about? Wow, I moved back to Rio after a while in the United States. I love living in Brazil because I, I really enjoy outdoor experience, like going to the beach, like running. I'm very grateful to live in Rio. It's a perfect place. Would you have come back if the office would have said, hey, you come back, but we need to place you in Sao Paulo? Oh, wow, that would have been a harder choice for me, for sure. I go yeah. to Sao Paulo a lot because business here in Brazil happens in Sao Paulo, but I have family in Rio and I really enjoy mm. the lifestyle. Waking up, like running at the beach and then showering and going to work, it's a great way to start a day. Definitely, definitely. Yes. <laughs> I, I try to do the same thing when I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, first thing, going to the beach. And yeah. then the, the day only starts afterwards. Yeah, every day I try to pass at the beach. At least if I cannot do like early morning, mm -hmm. I would go at night, at least for a coconut water. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the meditation. <laughs> yeah. And just quickly, for people maybe who, who didn't catch it, what is hashtag exactly? What is the... Sure the essence of Hashtags. Of course, so Hashtags is a crypto asset management fund and we build a bridge between traditional financial market and crypto investments. But we understand right now there are a lot of frictions to access this market and it's not for everyone. So what we've built is products that are in the regulated space that you can invest through the Brazilian stock exchange like you buy any other stock. That's um, also how I found actually hashtags the first time because my father-in-law, he's also super interested in, in investing in general, but usually stocks. And then he's asking me, could I help him to get into crypto? And I was super hesitant because there's so many hurdles, right? For, especially for a person who is not crypto native and yeah. who's a little bit older, maybe. And I always like, you know, like put it off for, for another day, so to say. And one day he was like, hey, I bought some some Bitcoin, some Ethereum, some uh, Chainlink. And I was like, wow, how did you do it? And said, it was super easy. I just bought the Hashdex 11, which is one of your products. Yes. And it's just a basket of crypto, crypto right? Crypto assets, yes. 
we believe that this technology is going to win many different sectors of the economy and crypto assets are the best way to get exposure to this. But we understand it can be very hard to invest for a regular person. The friction of creating your own wallet, managing your crypto assets, it drives people away a lot of times. So we have three principles here. Simple, safe, and regulated. So our products, they need to be easy to access through any platform, like you invest with a couple clicks. Secure, because we only work with assets that have institutional custodian that we can guarantee they're not going to disappear in the near future. And we chose to be in the regulated space. So we build products that fit the needs of regulators and give investors exposure to this asset class, but with the familiarity and the trust that they already have in the traditional financial markets. Yeah, and I would like to go back later um, to hashtags and, and the products, but I think it would be cool to get to know you a little bit better and your background. So I've seen on your LinkedIn that you have um, quite a, a background in, in entrepreneurship. Yes, the way I came to financial market is very different than most people. I've worked with technology since like I was um, in college. I did an internship in an internet company in Brazil. And almost 12 years ago, I co-founded a company called Hotel Rubano in Brazil. That's like online travel agents that competes uh, with Booking.com. And it was a big success. Hotel Urbano is one of the biggest online travel agencies right now in Latin America and still is. It grew super fast and the environment at that time in Brazil, think about like 2010, we didn't have this uh, venture capitalist ecosystem funding a unicorn startup was not a thing in Brazil. So Hotel Urbano became like a, a very prominent company in the space. It was an awesome journey. And in 2015, I left to a sabbatical that I thought would take like around two years, lasted like for less than two months. And then I joined a company called Analyst in the United States, headquarters is in San Francisco. And the challenge that Analyst was trying to solve was to build operating system on top of Linux that would allow people to have better connectivity with the internet. Oh, wow. So an operating system, but um, we have to also go, sorry, we have to go back to the Hotel Urbano story because you just jumped over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, I co-founded a, a unicorn and the next <laughs> sentence uh, talking about something else because that's quite impressive, right? Let's quickly, I quickly want to ask you about Hotel Urbano story. Yeah. Can you tell a bit more of um, what it was like to, to start such a fast-growing company, how the idea came along? Sure. Um, yeah, sure. I, I I was coming back from a time in the U.S. to Brazil and I had a couple of friends that they were brothers and we were thinking about, like, how about we start a company, like in the internet company, we thought about different verticals and then we realized that hotels was were, like, very fragmented in Brazil. Like, when you think about the United States, for example, in 2010, 80% of the hotels they belong to big chains. And in Brazil, 80% of the hotels were actually independent. Posadas. Posadas, bed and breakfast, like small, like very like- Mom and pop. Mom and pops. Yeah. So when we decided to check, okay, hotels are, are uh, like it can be an industry that there was no, no one like really leading it 
uh, online in Brazil. It was like prior to booking.com trying to arrive. And we realized that we could generate a lot of value to the, those hotels, kind of like teaching, creating demand in periods of low seasonality. Because like hotel industry, they suffer a lot from seasonality. Yeah. And you think about Brazil, like summertime, like occupancy rate goes to 100%. And then when they go to, to the lower uh, uh, period of seasonality, tourists leave and they have to let everybody go. So this, it compromises the service, the quality of service, it compromises everything. And it's very bad for a hotel cash flow. Yeah. So, so when we saw this, we became like this partner that we had data and we could optimizing for them the, the occupancy rate. So if you have like 10 rooms and you're gonna sleep tonight with seven of them empty, why not make a half price, create demand? So people come to the hotel, they spend there, like they kind of like create, uh, they like they talk about it. So we started using our knowledge of internet and social power to drive demand to our partners. And pretty soon Hotel Mano was the biggest net of hotels in Brazil. We had like over 6,000 hotels in, in our platform and in like around three to four years, mm -hmm. much bigger than any other online travel agents. Wow. So like we're able to cover the whole national league. And that, that was mainly um, demand from inside, like Brazilians going to vacation in Brazil? Yes, the way we entered the market was kind of smart because we didn't want to compete. Like, like you have to go back 10, like 12 years in time. The travel agencies, they were not necessarily online. They were like the stores that you go, they sell you a package. You know, and there were a couple of brands in Brazil that people trusted. And we decided that, like, we didn't want to sell your first trip of Hotel Mano to Europe, for example, because it's a big risk to take. You kind of have to trust the brand, you, you know, it's a, a big risk. But if I, t I sell you a weekend in Buzius for 300 reais, and you are not even thinking about traveling, just like it, we, we're selling trips as a break of your routine instead of as a travel. Yeah. So our first slogan was needing a break, Hotel Hobano, the travel that fits in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Something like that, like free translated. And so with that, like we started to create this habit of traveling more. If you go to the movies or if you like go out for lunch, you spend money, you know? Yes. And with Hotel Hobano, you use this money to to go to a small town and kind of like a small getaway. So that's how we position ourselves. But of course, as we build brand, the travels like they become bigger and like the average ticket price also increased a lot. So in the beginning, our, our average ticket price was super cheap and people would buy because of price. And as they started trusting more the brands, like we were able to scale five times our average ticket price and, and get people to go to longer distance trips. Yeah. Are you the mastermind behind sending the, the Brazilians, uh, sending them to Disneyland in, in the US? <laughs> I'm definitely not the mastermind, but I can tell like that we sold many trips to Disney, definitely the most yeah. like demanded destination for Brazilians. Yeah. And it's a big thing here in Brazil, like people dream about going to Disney. And it's, it's this tradition of the, the 15 years, like if the girl turns 15, yes. right, then she either gets like a big party or can go to yeah, a travel or, or both. Yeah, 
It's kind of you choose. Do you want to go travel for friends or you have a party? I traveled with my friends and I, I had this dream trip when I was 15 uh, and I unforgettable. Where did you go? I went to Disney, to Disney with Land. all my friends. Ah, yes. So it was before that. So yeah. You didn't invent it, but you made it more accessible for everybody. Yes, definitely more okay. accessible. Like right now, like Hotel Humano is one of like the biggest um, online travel agencies in the world that send people to, to Orlando. But did they, they change the name or something, right? Yes, it, it had a rebrand recently. Yeah. And it's called Hurbi now. Hurbi, okay. Yeah. For people maybe Googling that they, that they find it. And yeah. okay, so that sounds like a huge success. You've been kind of involved with the, the retail people, the everyday Brazilian who, who starts to travel more. I think there was also quite an economic boom in that time in Brazil and people had to get more money and like the middle class was building out, right? Yes, yes. To, yeah, 2010, I think to 2013, it was like, we, Brazil was like living a boom and even like uh, we were starting to access more like external capital, like VCs. Mm -hmm. So we've, we had such a high growth that we got an investment from a venture capitalist company, raising money, like growing like quality of service, like marketing, building a brand, and then becoming a unicorn. Seems, wow. seems <laughs> simple, but it's yeah. a lot of hard when, work. When we say unicorn, are we talking about US dollar unicorn or Brazilian reals unicorn? At the time, like the dollar was like 1.5, you know, so it was not okay. a big thing. Was that like right now, like if it's a, a unicorn, it would have to be worth like much more in reals. Yeah. But at the time it was kind of pretty, pretty even. Okay. And then, you, when, when, so did, did it get sold or what did you become oh, like no. incredibly rich when no. with the exit? No, like we got, like we got some external investors entering the business and I was like we in front of the operation like for a really long time, like over five years. And it is a really t demanding operations because we are talking about selling travel. So it's very intense. People are traveling 24 by seven. And I thought like, I had been to a lot already in the company. Learning curve was amazing. As you're building a business, you see things that you never thought. Um, so I thought I was like, okay, I'm ready to start a new thing. Okay. Things were, yeah. So you've been one of the first, and then when you went out, how many people were working there? Around 600 people. And yeah. you were literally like three people yeah, in the we beginning. Yeah, we were like four. 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 Yeah, vibe, yeah. So it was wow. like huge growth. Yeah. Okay. Because it was also an operation that kind of required people a mm -hmm. lot. You know, mm -hmm. okay. you have customer service, salespeople, there are uh, yeah, relationship people actually that are in contact with hotel. We had a big tech team because we owned our own platform. It was uh, a very intense operation. Yeah. But sorry if uh, if it's maybe too direct. But did you get like super, super rich? You became like a multimillionaire. You should <laughs> have. You should have by this story. Yeah, uh, I still like I have options in the company. I still have stocks in the company, but I. I okay, you didn't uh, sell. You, I didn't you... sell everything. No, I still uh, have a piece in the company. Okay, and how does it feel? Awesome. Yes, I feel yeah. like I'm actually like uh, they are doing good. Uh, okay. Things are, they are growing, and I'm. I benefit through them grow their growth and, and doing other things, so it can't be better. Well, that sounds so cool. Congrats. Thanks. And then the other thing, um, which is also interesting, is Endless. Yes. And you already mentioned a little bit. It sounds so ideological, like a, a, a new operating system built on Linux. Uh, I mean, how do you make money? Because Linux is free, right? Um, and the people you're selling to, they don't have much money. That's yeah. why they choose you and the internet connection thing. So how, how is that a good 
market to, to no, address? No, so our customers were the, the computer manufacturers. Yeah. Like they couldn't sell computers in areas in which internet didn't work. So like they needed a system in which people could access content somehow. Mm -hmm. And as we presented the solution, we started with a pilot in some areas of Asia, and then pretty soon we're shipping around 8 million computers wow. worldwide. Yeah, no, interesting. And how did you go from such a, you know, like everybody can relate to travel and, yes. is, and marketing for travel for the regular people then to such a super tech and niche theme. And you have been also CEO of that company mm -hmm. after yeah. a while. Yeah, I could have chosen something that's more of the same. You know, I think the easiest path for me would be to start a new internet business. But when I met like Endless Team and I understood, oh wow, they're doing something that's really different and risks are really high, it might go really wrong. You know, the competition is tough, but it's something I've never done before. And it seems really interesting. I have a lot to learn. So I joined like to kind of like do growth in like, a lot, focus more in Latin America, but very quick, I moved to Asia as well. And then I was invited to become the CEO and I moved back to San Francisco. Oh, so, wow. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So then you spent uh, a while in, in San Francisco, a couple yeah. of years? Yes. Super cool. And that's the first time you've been a CEO? Uh, no, like in Hotel Mono, like for a while, I, I was like CEO for a while. Oh, wow. we, we kind of shift a bit, yeah. but yes. And Endless was like, I think the highest was like 90 people mm -hmm. spread between like six countries. And yes, it was a big project. And how is it to be a CEO? Like, <laughs> you know, like managing people, etc. Is it something that comes natural to you? That's just something that you grow into when the, the opportunity presents itself? Or did you have like a knack for this since the beginning? Um, let me think about it. Honestly, no, it, it happened. You know, I think like my profile is more like I'm, I'm a hustler, you know, in a sense that I do what needs to be done. So I usually like, I move around. That sounds badass. <laughs> I, I usually move to... around, you yeah. know, like for example, like like in hotel bottom, yes, I'm, I definitely am not a specialist. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a generalist. So like for, you know, hotel bottom in the beginning, like marketing was really important. So it was yeah. like where I spent most of my time. And then like product became a big thing. So I spent like most of my time like in product team and and, and then of course like culture, and then you become like, you have a company and you have to step out of like these specific things to kind of look like broadly mm -hmm. and you hire better people than you, right? And yeah. then they, that they are specialists in the area. Between us, are you aiming to become the CEO of Hashtag? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, yeah. So then, Maybe to make the connection to hashtags now um, and from uh, San Francisco to Rio. Yeah. The other day I met somebody who, who an American who spent quite a, some time in, in San Francisco as well. Mm -hmm. And this person says, living now in Rio, that uh, Rio is safer and better in all respects than San Francisco. I've never been to San Francisco. Wow. In terms of like, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the, the problems you hear with the street safety people. Yeah. Uh, um, like, I, I think if you have enough money in Rio, you're able to live in a bubble. Mm -hmm. So uh, I do see myself as a privileged person that lives in a bubble. So I feel very safe. San Francisco is more like an open city in the sense that 
Um, the city is going through some problems right now with the, the homeless people. It's kind of common that you see people like using drugs in the middle of the day. And it's a problem in San Francisco that it seems hard to solve, you know, because it's, it's, of course, there is this wealth gap that's really big. Mm -hmm. But there is also like, um, it's a city that has like a lot of challenges with drugs also. Yeah. So you feel like vulnerable. I could see my son feeling unsafe sometimes in San Francisco. Mm. Okay. Because you see people that are mental ill because of like the youth drug abuse. Yeah. And and it's super sad, you know. It's not people are not bad. They're just like not in their best mental condition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um how do we make this more fun now again? <laughs> oh yes, let's come back to Rio. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, hashtags. I think we should talk about hashtags. And um, I think it would be cool just to quickly explain what an ETF is in a super simple way. ETFs in a very simple way, it's a fund that can be traded in a public exchange. It becomes a way to trade it as a stock, but it's an index. It's like an S&P 500 or any other ETF. So the S&P 500 is, for instance, if you want to get exposure to the 500 biggest companies in the US, basically to the US economy, you buy this product. That's basically what the financial advisors tell you to buy ETFs because the fees are low. Yeah, it's usually very low. It's like low fee, definitely lower than if you invest in a fund. And like you have the liquidity that you can get in and out whenever you want. And when you think about the crypto space, the volatility is so high that having the ability to get in or out whenever you want is relevant. And the ETF that you have, and you have a couple of them, they're basically tracking the basket of coins that you have in there. And yeah. one of them is like 60% Bitcoin and then almost 30% Ethereum and then a long tail of some other coins that are completing the rest of the 10%, right? So exactly. it should always represent that value in that ETF. Um, the, the story I told you before with my, my father-in-law, right? Mm -hmm. I don't believe he is the main target group of this mm -hmm. product because he could just buy the Bitcoin and Ethereum on an exchange here in Brazil. Is it mo mostly aimed at institutional investors, people with big funds that should buy the product or? Mm -hmm. I think like we're definitely a solution for institutional investors that need to have access to crypto. Mm -hmm. And this demand is increasing. A lot of portfolio managers, they realize that they should have crypto in their portfolio for diversification. And like prior to those ETFs, they were not even looking to it as an asset class because you know there is like so many barriers for them. And as we created this ETF, now they have an option. But we also saw a big demand in the retail space because um, it's not obvious for everyone like how to create an account in an exchange and like how to secure your crypto assets. So this is our thesis that it's more like if people, um, it's like the same thing about gold, right? If you want to buy gold. You usually and, don't buy the gold bar. You don't buy, sorry, like, if you buy, you can buy an earring, but you are not going to buy like two kilograms of gold and put in your mm -hmm. in your house. It's not safe, you have to start worrying about it. And then and if something happens, it's hard to it, it's hard to identify if it's really gold, you know? It's the same thing with crypto. You start to figure out, okay, is it a good project? Like there are so many things that you have to worry if you want to buy your own gold. It's much easier to invest through a fund, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing, the same way we see. Mm -hmm. 
because you basically um, yeah you said it you store the the, the the crypto and I would like to ask you afterwards um, how do you do that is it backed one-to-one -one? Uh -huh. and the other thing is you select the good project as an investor you don't have to worry you just say I want to have exposure to crypto yeah I buy this product yeah but and yeah, let's quickly go into the security. Like, is it really back to a real crypto or yes. is it? Yes, uh... 100%, like 100%, 100%, 100%. We are audited by uh, KPMG globally. We are like, we're regulated. So like when you say we have 4 billion reais in crypto, it is like we have like all of those are tracked and audited and like regulated. Uh, hashtags doesn't hold any key. We partner with regulated custodian everything's super safe and when you're talking about those partners we're talking about fidelity uh, custodian coinbase custodian and those companies they are big enough that they also they're able to back those assets so hashtag assets they have insurance if something happens like with fidelity that it was like chances are really 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 low like we are protected so there's not like a rapper uh, who could uh, just uh, socially engineer the way into them and steal? <laughs> Definitely <your> not. <laughs> Definitely uh, so not. We have to follow like all like the financial market needs to be able to have a product like that. Yeah. Um, being in this space and obviously believing a lot in crypto, um, there's a, like a little paradox. I think. I think because crypto is here to disrupt the traditional uh -huh. uh, industry, right? Yeah. And then. You take this disruption and then you package it kind of like in the traditional industry way yeah. and sell it back to them. And people are super bullish on it and buy it. Yes. How do you think about this? Is this just like now for the moment um, mm -hmm. and everybody will go decentralized one day? Mm -hmm. Or do you think it's just more, hey, it's actually not that disruptive, it's just something new and we can just put it like a Lego into the existing system, but the existing system is not really at risk. Mm -hmm. No, I do believe it's very disruptive and it's going to kind of like impact many sectors of economy, including financial markets, you know. Uh, DeFi is there and I think it's coming faster than people think. But right now, the way we believe is like we're building this bridge. So we're actually driving capital to the crypto space and helping to develop those projects. We believe blockchain is powerful and can help us to reorganize the society in, in a more decentralized way. And we see a lot of positive impacts on that. And what we do right now when we connect this bridge is actually financing this new future. Mm -hmm. So we're bringing money to crypto like through the financial path, through the tradi traditional path. And um, at the same time, we're providing people that didn't have a chance to kind of like get exposure to the potential of this growth because we're making it more accessible to them. So we're, we're building a business of access, you know, like we're making access easy to, to, this, to this new world. And you have a new product that I find quite fascinating. It's uh, the DeFi yes. ETF. So is it the, it's the first ETF that you, where you have I think it's all Ethereum-based DeFi products. You have Curve, you have Uniswap, you have uh, exactly. all, all these coins in there. Yeah. How did that product get launched? Because it sounds like a big challenge to launch this. Yes, honestly, like the first meetings with the financial market, I realized that they were looking at us like, what do you mean? So you're telling us to sell a product 
this is gonna break us. So I think it's like, this was the start of like people, traditional financial institutions realizing that this, it's a threat. It can be a threat. Um, the, the way we see it, and I think it has to do a lot of like, our thesis of investment, blockchain technology is growing super quick. And it's very hard when a technology is emerging to be picking like the battles. Like the analogy we do was like, if like you were in the 90s trying to figure out which internet companies you would bet in the early 2000s, you would probably have gotten it wrong. Uh, yeah, you know? Probably pets.com. And... Yes, like so many companies that like right now we only remember about big ones that succeed, but many of them failed. Yeah. So in this moment of the technology, like instead of picking the, the, the winners, the best idea is to get exposure to the market. So Hash11 comes with this idea that we're giving people exposure to blockchain. And I think this is actually the biggest value of the index because you're always representing the market. But of course, like now going back to the DeFi, right? Uh, as the market evolves, it is natural that some sectors, they start to get more attention, right? So they, it, it's the same thing about technology until like, I don't know, 10 years ago, people would talk about, okay, I do investments in technology in general. Mm -hmm. And now we have like the fintechs, and then the ad techs, and then like health techs that are like specialized investments in some sectors of the economy. Mm -hmm. DeFi is this uh, sector of blockchain that uh, works with the, the financial markets, right? The financial services in general. And it made sense for us since this is one of the, the fastest growing sectors in, in blockchain to have an index to represent the space. Mm -hmm. And then the index we created, basically it, it starts with the applications. So 70% of the index are like the most relevant applications. They have to be traded um, in trusted like exchanges that do KYC. They gotta have institutional custodian, like at the same liquidity, they're all important. And then 15% is like for the supporting platforms, and then 15% for the Satmon layer. But because right now, at the moment we Wait, are. What do you mean with the 15%? 15% of the fund is Ethereum that I have seen. Yes. Is that, uh, you mean like, the, the, because 15% goes to the base token? Yes, which of is the Ethereum. platform. So, for example, let's say that in, in, in the next rebalance, we see that more projects, DeFi projects that run in Solana, mm -hmm. they, are, they become relevant in the DeFi space. Mm -hmm. So if they get into the index, Solana gets into the index, you know? Ah, okay. Because currently there's only Ethereum, so I thought, or or an overlooked one, but the thing is, we have 15% uh, Ethereum, then you have 6% Polygon, which is a layer two of Ethereum, then you have Chainlink, yes. uh, which is their own thing, you're right? But then you have 24% Uniswap, uh, a curve, Aave, urine finance, compound synthetics, uh, all stuff built on Ethereum, I think. Yeah, because right now they're like, those protocols, those, those DeFi applications are the biggest ones that qualify for the index. And I think as the market evolves, and that's why it's a DeFi index, not only Ethereum, as DeFi evolves, we're gonna have other applications that are built on other like Saturn layers. Mm -hmm. And as they come, like those other layers are gonna come as well. Why I thought that's so crazy is 
all these tokens, not all of them, I mean, an Ethereum is a different one to a Curve because a Curve token is a government's token and I think it's super hard to give value to the government's token. How do you know how much value is in there? But from my understanding is you guys don't really care if it's a government token or not. Mm-hmm. It's just, hey, we want exposure to DeFi and these are the tokens which are the most important ones. Yes. And I think like the way we build the index to make sure that like you're getting benefits from the growth of the application layer, you get the benefits from the asset layer, but also like from the settlement layer, because in reality, like the 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 crypto that kind of like wins the most, if all those applications, they win, like Ethereum valuation yeah. is gonna go up. Yeah. So we thought like, doesn't make sense to create a DeFi index in which we're not capturing the growth of like the, the, the settlement layer. The analogy I do is for example, um, if you could have invested in the internet company in the beginnings, um, choosing one, would be like a very much higher risk than investing in an index, right? Yeah. Like an index, you're safe. But if you had a chance to invest in the HTTP, that is the protocol that all the internet like companies are like they use to run, mm-hmm. that's when you would have been made money, you know. But they were they're all open source. Mm-hmm. Right now, the blockchain is being built in a way that's like almost like that Ethereum is kind of this protocol in which things are going to be built on top and you have the chance to make money out of the protocol, something we didn't have chance like in the 90s. So uh, when you think about the DeFi index, like for us, it makes a lot of sense that that the settlement layer is going to grow in value as the the applications become more relevant. And when you're doing an index that's covering the category, you should benefit. Take the advantage of this admin layer. That sounds amazing. Uh, it's a, a very forward-thinking product, I have to say. Um, what is next? Are you guys ever considering doing like an NFT fund? That would be even more the chance, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. We have things in the pipeline. I cannot open all of them, but I think um, the first thing, like I said, like we do filters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can we do this in the, in the regulated space? Like, can we like really? Uh, create a fund or index of NFTs. So this is like NFT is a big question. And then if we can, like where they trade, do they they follow this safety that we require to be able to create a fund? So sometimes it takes a bit longer in the regulated space to launch a product than when you're just creating a token and an NFT. We have to think deep, talk with regulators, kind of understand what are the possibilities. But I do believe that blockchain is only starting and that the next few years, we're going to see tons of applications built on top of blockchain. And it's going to make it kind of, people are going to start finally seeing the value because it's very hard to explain Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana to someone that's not in the technology. But when they start seeing the applications, the NFTs, like are they, they can do lending, that they can kind of like borrow money, like all those things, that's when they start seeing the value of the technology. And I think that we're going to see many of those companies and, and applications coming up in the next few years. But aren't you then worried that um, less people will be buying this product that you have because people will, to, exper- to experience that, what you just mentioned, mm-hmm. is you have to own the key, you have to engage, you have to really use it mm-hmm. on the blockchain and not just buy a product. 
no, like the more people use, the more those products are gonna, the more those assets are gonna be valued. So I really want people to use it. If you want to use it, go please buy and use it. Because the more people use, they're gonna grow like in value and it's good for us. And I think there's always a space for people that are gonna be thinking about investment. And when they think about investment, hashtags is the best solution worldwide right now. So we're super happy with the growth of the yeah, could I buy hashtags uh, index in Switzerland or in let's say for somebody from the US? Let's make it in US. In US, yes, you can buy through our partner. We have a fund with Victory Partner, and you can invest directly in this uh, NCI fund that I told you. Mm -hmm. Like this is our first product in US, and it's actually our main product. I have hashtags. Um, what are it, the fees there? Uh, it's one point three percent. One point three. Yeah. Yeah. Which for ETF is high, but probably for this product not so much because there's yeah, not so much competition. Yeah, when you think about, yeah, it's not about competition, it's like complex. It's not a stock, uh, yeah. stock ETF. Like when you think about like everything that gets involved uh, to make crypto available in the regulated space, like all like the protections, everything that we need to, to work on, uh, it's not expensive, it's yeah. very competitive. Mm -hmm. And, but in, in Europe, pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And is it true, and maybe you mentioned it and I didn't hear it, that the ETF here in Brazil is the second most owned ETF? Yes, second uh, in number of investors. That's why I told you, we're pretty popular with retail. That's we crazy. have around 250,000 investors in Hash11, and it's the biggest uh, ETF, the second so biggest 250, ETF. 250,000 yeah. different Investors, investors, individual, individual, yeah, small individuals to big funds, yes. all in there, two hundred fifty thousand. And what, 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 what do they buy more? What is the the first one in in Brazil? The hash eleven. Oh, the first one is is uh, is the one that represents the the stock traded as, as a whole. The S and P five hundred of, yeah, of Brazil, so to say. Exactly. Oh wow! So you're really really popular. Yeah. Yeah, and then the third one is going down by, is it like a curve like this? Like one is super high, then the next one half, and then... And then the third one is still relevant, and then it's... It's, it's getting not, a super yeah, long tail. Yeah. And you are responsible for growth. Yes. How did you do it? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think like what we're doing is kind of we're leveraging a lot of partners to financial markets to kind of, in a sense that... We offer the best solution for those partners to offer crypto to their clients. Mm -hmm. And I think like a lot of traditional banks worldwide are seeing that their money is just, they're getting out. Like, in, like people are just like investing in exchanges or trying to invest in crypto. A lot of times in Imperium schemes, just because they want to have access to crypto. And those banks, they don't have a way. They, they are not in the crypto space. So hashtags partners with them to be the solution for them to access crypto. And the way we do is a lot through education. We, we produce a lot of content tools, uh, dashboards, and uh, a lot of information about the market in very transparent and in a responsible way. And we do marketing in a sense, like creating the demand for this. So we're supporting the financial system with crypto information, crypto products, and as people demand more crypto, they go look for us there. Why is Brazil so open to crypto? 
Because similar products have not been allowed in the U.S., right? Yeah. I, 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 what I heard, like the Bitcoin ETF, is there's still none from the U.S. Yeah. And Brazil is kind of like now a trailblazer when it comes to crypto. I think like it was a smart decision from regulators here that they saw that there was demand. And if there is demand and you don't offer a product in the regulated space, people are going to find their ways to invest it in the way they find. And then it got to a point that it's becoming relevant enough that the regulators decided that oh, it's better to kind of support a company that's doing like a serious job in the category. And I think it's going to be the same in the U.S. Crypto ETFs are not allowed yet, but you can invest. Like Coinbase is a listed company, you know. Yeah. And... I, in the end of the year, they allowed uh, a Bitcoin ETF. It's a derivative. It's not exactly Bitcoin. We don't love the product, but I think it's the beginning. And now maybe changing pace a bit. You're wearing a shirt that says, girls just want to have fun. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm doing a podcast number 16, and you're only the second woman that I have on. Why are there not many women in, in crypto? Oh my God, right. Um, yeah, I hear that a lot, that I'm uh, you're the first woman here. I was actually, uh, when we launched our Bitcoin ETF, I did the speech at Brazilian Stock Exchange, and I got there and I realized that I was the first. And then To ever give a speech yes, at the Stock Exchange? For, yeah, launching a, a fund. Oh, and then wow. everybody there were like super celebrating. They were like, mm. bad that you're the first. I'm like, really? So really? Scary, like 2021, uh, not hmm. a great thing. Um, so I think it's normal that financial markets until now they had like less women. We actually did this shirt that we're seeing that girls just wanna have funds to celebrate when the, the number of women in the Brazilian stock exchange reached a million. One so million. One million women in stock exchange. We made this shirt to celebrate uh -huh. and we, we send it out to the financial influencers yeah. women in Brazil. Like one million customers who are female, who, yeah. who have a stock somehow. Yeah, so who How trade? do you know that? It's a public information, like oh. B3, like, yeah, it's, it's information. It's part of the KYC, you have to say. Yeah, like they know who you are and they, they just released that at one million. So we're like, okay, it's a start. Mm -hmm. um, and how many men, sorry, just to have the relation? Uh, I think it's like three, three times more. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. it would be like 2080 or something. No, yeah, okay. no, but in terms of like asset under management, the difference is big. This is huge. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, um, I think there are less women in investment space in general and technology as well. Yeah. So crypto is in the middle of two areas that in general, they were dominated by men, technology and financial markets. But I'm hopeful that this is going to change because I think we talk a lot as women about empowering women and independent women. And I do believe there's no way to be empowered women if you are not financially independent. And women talk very little about financial investments and financial independence. So this is something, it's a topic that you definitely need to bring more. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the, the work that we do in terms of education is what's going to help people understand crypto as a technology and not as a speculative asset class mm -hmm. and that this can get women close to, to this. That's what, at least what brought me to crypto was yeah. to understand that the technology could be very powerful. Would you say it's a good idea for people to invest in crypto? 
Ah, uh, of course. <laughs> I think like the biggest risk for someone at this point is not to have crypto, actually. That being said, I usually wouldn't suggest someone to be like trading crypto daily because I think it's super high risk, volatility is really high, and it's like gambling. You know, if you're like doing it with the money that you need this week, it can be very dangerous. But when you look to three, five, ten years horizon, and this is something that can change like someone's investment portfolio. And the way we think about this, the easiest way to be comfortable with crypto is to kind of allocate a very small amount of your portfolio, like one to five percent, something that you're comfortable like that you can look in three or five year horizon. Don't look at this every day because you're going to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> However, like if you only allocate 1% of your portfolio and this goes to zero, you lost 1% and nobody likes to lose money, but losing in 1% is not a big thing in someone's life. This is something you're going to recover. But this is the 1% that historically can give you like a huge growth and kind of like have an important impact in the portfolio. So what can it do 1%? Have you have you have studies like does it double your portfolio yeah, it can, or what is it? It can depends on how much like, like what you last. have. Yes. And like we have a couple of studies that for example if you want to invest in crypto for 3 months, I think your chances of losing money is like 60% or mm -hmm. 70%. Wow. But if you're willing to kind of like invest like for 3 years like your chances of doubling your investments, it's like 80%. It's something like that. Like I, I can send you the full article, but it's like very impressive. The, the, the role that times play in, yeah. in, 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 in the crypto investment. So I would suggest like, think about a small location long-term. Yeah. And obviously pick the right projects, which you do already in hashtags for them. Cool. What should people do? They want to know more about hashtags or maybe about you. Where shall we? What is your call to action? Oh, God. Uh, so I think there are two approaches that I could say. Like the first one, if you're in the tech space, look, you are an entrepreneur, like you want to do a project, like consider blockchain as a way of building a business or at least try to understand how it could impact the sector you are in. So you're not surprised by what blockchain can do to your industry or be disruptive. And also because you can take the lead in the innovation. And if you want to invest in crypto, I would go to regulated companies that do it in your country. So you're protected by the financial markets infrastructure, I would say. Cool. Do you care about people following you on Twitter or something like that? Do you have a Twitter? I do have Instagram or LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> They're better. I, I, I post more. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Beta, B E T A, and Tunis, A N T U N E S, mm -hmm. number 11. I will link it. Number 11. <laughs> yes. ah, okay. Or uh, Roberta Antunis at LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. If you are still listening, chances are that you liked this episode. DeFi is not just me, it's also you, the listener. And growing this podcast is seriously one of the toughest challenges I've ever undertaken. It's so hard to grow an audience. But each day, there are more listeners joining and together we can spread the word about DeFi by giving it five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Send this episode to a friend who might be interested. 
check out the website visitdefire.money and click on subscribe to get the new episodes and in the future also blog posts directly into your inbox. Also make sure to follow me on Twitter at DeFireMoney. All of this helps so we can continue to produce more episodes more frequently and get the most interesting guests that you deserve. The music in this episode is from Young Cards and the signature sound is from Verified Picasso. Good night and see you soon.